0: Hello from Chattanooga. I'm Jay Ward, and I'm Wayne Carini, and this is Talking Classic Cars. Today we have, well, I don't know how to describe my friend Donald Osborne.
1: <laughs> Indescribable would be the yeah. right word. Right, right, right. yeah, I don't think we have to describe Donald.
0: Don- you- Donald and I've been friends for over forty years, and and uh, we still can't figure out why we like each other. So we keep we keep we keep trying to you know do that, and, and, but. Um, real quick for everybody to know donald osborne is the person that cemented the deal and got me my tv show chasing classic cars because he wrote an article about my hudson italia that appeared in the new york times and the head of my production company jim ostrowski read that article on sunday called me on monday and the rest is history um then in turn um his fair play that's right so um what's my car called me and said we'd like you to be the co-host and i said no i'm a little stretched and out thin but there's a good friend of mine donald osborne that fits your criteria perfectly he's knowledgeable
2: he's a great guy uh, and they hired him and uh so you're really responsible wayne for me getting my next big break which is working with jay leno because I was fired after two seasons from What's My Car Worth. Well, they finally found out about you, huh? <laughs> <laughs> were you really fired? I was absolutely fired, Jay. Yeah. What happened?
0: 100%. So I got to tell you. So, so he comes and finds me. It's at Scottsdale. Mm-hmm. And he goes on the set of What's My Car Worth. And he said, I didn't know we were filming today. And they said,
2: we are, but you're not. That's how you found out. Yeah. That's Actually, how I found, I found out, out, out through a phone call. Said, oh, well, you know, you're, you're filming across town. I said, oh, we are, are we? And so, uh, yeah. yeah, I was fired for all the right reasons. I was told I was too sophisticated for the show. <laughs> so I thought, wow, well, that's a really terrific insult but I'll take it. Um, but it was uh, one of those situations and I think we've all been there where we never know where life is gonna take us and a door closes and a window wall opens. So he, he comes up to dinner that night and he tells
0: me the story. I said, don't worry, things are meant for certain reasons. There's something else around the corner that's gonna to happen to you, it's gonna be great. And about a week later, Jay called me and said, what do you think about Donald Osborne for my new TV show? I said, fabulous.
2: And he got hired. Exactly, Jay uh, called me up there talking to him about starting this new show. And he said, would you be interested in you're not doing uh, What's My Car Worth anymore? Um, I said, well, you know, Jay, I really have to think about this, yes. <laughs> did, you, did you know Jay Leno at that point? <laughs> yes, I did. Um, he had come to uh, know me through my writing. And we would meet out in California at various events at Pebble Beach and other places, and we'd chat. And uh, so he was a fan of my writing, I knew that. But uh, we had actually worked together for the first time in 2014. Um, I went and did an episode of his uh, YouTube show. Uh, oh, yeah. He had never driven a Lancia-Fulvia before, ah. and I had a beautiful uh, Lancia-Fulvia Sport Zagato. Great car. And I said, I'm going to bring it uh, to Burbank and have you drive it. And So that was the first time we worked together. And the reaction to the, um, to the YouTube segment was sensational. People really liked the way we interacted, and so I thought, hmm, something that might work.
1: Yeah, so, the, the relationship chemistry is definitely there. Now, you and Jay are working together at a much deeper level now because of the Audrain. Now, tell me a little bit about how you went from Southern California to how you got involved with the Audrain and how you got Jay Leno in, or how he got involved with the Audrain.
2: Well, much like Karini, uh, uh, Leno was the reason why I became involved with the Audrain. Okay. Um, back in 2016, they needed to have an appraiser come and appraise the collections. And Jay knew of me and my work, course, and recommended me to them as an appraiser. So I went and did the appraisal job in 2016 and then started working with them as a consultant on acquisitions and collection management. And then when they planned the first 2019 Audrain Con- Newport Concord Motor Week, they asked me to come on because they knew I'd had a great experience um, in the administration of shows, in attending shows, and participating in shows and so I came up as a, um, as a consultant for that and as the executive director of the Concours the first year and I was in Newport for a month uh, supervising things, getting things together and the day before the Concours, uh, the chairman Nick George and his partner Mike Weil called me into Nick's office and said we really like the way you work, would you think of moving to Newport and becoming the CEO of the Audrain Group to help us take this to the next level and I said sure why not so, so when you,
1: you called me and invited me to judge at that initial, mm-hmm. one. in fact, you called me and, and emailed first, but then you called and you said, I really think this show is going to be special. I want you to be part of it, and I'm so glad you did. But at that
2: point, you weren't officially full time part of the Audrain. I had been a consultant uh, since 2016. And okay. it's very funny because um, when they first approached me about being involved in the Concord Motor Week, my first reaction was, oh, dear God, does the world need another Concord? And then I spent some time in Newport. And I realized what an incredible place Newport was, and uh, that for a variety of reasons, uh, people have tried to start a Concord Newport before, back in 2007, 2009, and somehow they managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, because if there was ever a place that was meant to have an event like that, it was Newport. And when I realized the scale on which they were planning it, I said, you know what, this could be something that really works. Yeah,
0: yeah we, we were talking about uh, the previous event with uh, David Hobbs yesterday. and, <laughs> and, and how, life. So, so remember that event where I think the woman that it was attempting to uh, put this big show on had a, a few million dollars given to her to do it. And she blew it all at one event. And she had David Piper and, and all sorts Sterling of great... Moss Sterling and, Moss. Yeah. Everybody came. It was a wonderful event. But then the
1: next year, there was no money and that was it. It was all over, one time. But here's the thing about Nick Schorch, what blew me away that first year because you did say he has a vision for this thing. He willed that show into existence with so much financial backing that, that he just said, I'm not going to leave anything done halfway. Everything will be done to the highest level possible. And what you guys did by doing that was everybody who left that show went away and told somebody, you have to go to this the next year because it is so amazing. And I think it worked. That strategy of going really
2: all in, all chips in that first year. Well, uh, you know, it's no uh, wonder that the two of you have been involved in a show from the beginning and are so enthusiastic about it because, frankly, it's also the way the three of us think. If you're going to do something, do it. Don't yeah. just sort of float it in. It's not worth it. Um, you know, our enthusiasm uh, goes through our 9-to-5 and our um, other activities as well. And, of course, for all of us, uh, we get to make our 9-to-5 our pleasure and amusement. Yeah. And there's something that's so incredibly amazing about that. So if you're going to do it, do it. Yeah. yeah. Not a dress rehearsal.
1: Especially with something like a Concord where people... Expect excellence, and you go to Newport, Rhode Island, and it's a beautiful, beautiful city. you've never been, you have to go. Um, the level of opulence in that city in the history of 120 years of this being the vacation homes for the wealthiest people in New York, and, and and the automobile was such a big part of that
0: history. So I mean, these people could afford anything. The Vanderbilt Cup race, yeah, was there. I mean, you know, and then, of course the electric car. When uh, people said electric cars, I didn't know they had electric cars, but back in the teens and and earlier than that, the electric car was what Mrs. Vanderbilt would would call into the butler and say, "I'm going to go over to Susan's for tea this afternoon. and Make sure my electric car is out in front." So the electric car had such a, a big presence in Newport and, and in many wealthy cities, Baltimore, um, you know, in New York City, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then it went away the minute the electric started uh, car, st- you know, car starter
2: came in. The electric car just disappeared. The good thing something that. Uh that Jay said, one of the things about Newport, it's a historic city, there are very few cities in North America that were founded in the 17th century and Newport was. So it's got a very, very, very long history. And what's really, for me, what makes Newport really special is the fact that it lives its history. Yeah. We all live and work in these incredibly historic buildings that are still making history today. And that's one of the other things I think that makes a difference in the Concord & Motor Week because it is of the city, it is in these houses, it is on these roads, um, and also uh, we see that as well in the veteran car tour that we do as well and that uh, Wayne has participated in um, Where we do a 50-mile drive from Newport up to Bristol, Rhode Island and back in 1907 and older cars And it is absolutely fantastic. It's again what we're all about about celebrating sharing and preserving um, historic automobiles But it's living with them driving them through the streets all the things that we love using them if, if, if is key You know Newport uh, Came
0: back from a really low, really tough time. Most of these mansions were empty; they were they were shuttered, and a lot of them were broken into. I mean, there was so many bad things going on. And then the Navy left, you know, so it was a huge Navy presence in Newport. And when they left, these houses in Newport were selling for fifty thousand dollars. They're now million and a half to two million, three million dollar houses. The same house because nobody wanted to be in Newport anymore. Yeah. And then suddenly this resurgence just happened. And it was unbelievable the, the restorations of these homes and, and, and it, now it's, it's a destination. People just love going there.
1: And like you said, the preservation of the city, I think it's so important that they respect the history. They're not leveling everything and putting in a Starbucks. Right. They're very good about that. Um, let's go back to your veteran car tour a mm-hmm. little bit. I think one thing you guys have done very well in the last few years as you've grown the culture of Audrain, it's really become a culture is you looked at Goodwood for some positive things, and you guys have a relationship with Goodwood now. Yes. Um, and for people who don't even know what Goodwood is, just explain a little bit about the parallels and what you guys do with them.
2: Well, Goodwood is an amazing place. It is the home of, the, uh, of the, uh, His Grace, the uh, Duke of Richmond, and who has been an incredible motoring enthusiast, and who revived the motor racing at his home, which had existed from 1948 to 1966. And uh, it's an extraordinary thing. They have three events a year, the Festival of Speed, which is a hill climb up the driveway of the house uh, that attracts international stars and manufacturers, cars from modern Formula One cars all the way back to cars in turn of the century. Uh, They do the uh, Revival, which is a celebration of the Goodwood road races. And everyone gets dressed up in period costumes and the cars are limited to those cars that would have run at Goodwood from 1948 to 1966. And that's a lot of fun. Then they do the members meeting. Uh, from the members of the Goodwood Road Racing Club, and uh, Audrey Motorsport is the presenting sponsor of the Goodwood Members Meeting. And so we've got a very special relationship with them for that. And one of the things they do at Goodwood is, again, it's one of these things that it's all in. Goodwood is a place that is the absolute, if you imagine what um, sort of every uh, upper-class young man and young woman would do who was a car enthusiast before World War II and immediately after, that's the life of Goodwood. It's riding, it's, it's, it's off-roading, it's, it's great sports cars, it's great touring cars. And over the top at Goodwood is just right. It's right. Yeah, the, the Duke... <laughs> I, fireworks and and, oh. it's, and, and carnivals and, and concerts. And so the way that the Duke and his team were able to take the spirit of Goodwood and share that with so many people, that's what we tried to do in Newport with the Audrain, is to say, Newport stands for history, luxury, and sport. And we can bring those things and realize those things through our events, through celebrating the cars, the people, Um, Wayne mentioned the Vanderbilt. Um, Of course, Willie K. Vanderbilt uh, was one of the pioneers in bringing automotive racing to uh, America. The first circuit race in the United States was held in Cranston, Rhode Island in 1896. Um, And the first Vanderbilt Cup was in 1902 in Newport at uh, the Aquidneck Park racetrack. And so there's a great long history. And in fact, one of my funniest uh, things I learned about it that the first overnight incarceration for a traffic infraction was in Newport. Oh. 1904, someone was arrested for speeding and put in jail overnight. Uh,
1: they must've been going rather quick, maybe over 35 miles per hour at the time. I think they're going over 25. Oh, So I've got races. a similar
0: story with, with, with um, there's this car that was in the Buffalo, uh, New York City to Buffalo race. And, and uh, they flew the driver over from France, and, and he, he was practicing up and down Fifth Avenue in the car, and he got caught speeding and thrown in jail, and they had to get a special lawyer to get him out so he'd be in the race the very next day. Ah, that was ah. at Panhard. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, and so that was really exciting. We restored that Panhard for... for uh, Rob Kaufman,
2: yes. and and uh, that's been a hero event too. It has. In fact, they awesome. won a major award there, I think, that's the first right. Time it was shown. It's another Willie K. car. That's right. Willie K. Uh, owned that car and drove that car and raced that car. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it's the idea, again, like they have at Goodwood, of these cars not being sort of precious objects that you observe from afar, but you see them at speed, you, you smell the hot oil. You, 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 you smell the clutches <laughs> um, and, and it's what really turns us on about these cars and makes it I think very special for people who perhaps don't consider themselves automotive enthusiasts don't identify as automotive enthusiasts they discover their connection with cars by seeing these cars being used and Wayne can testify this uh, very very well the people that see us do the veteran car tour the smiles, the amazement. It's like, hold on a sec that's a what-year Oldsmobile that you're going to drive 50 miles in a drizzle? And it's like, you know, there's Wayne, the big smile on his face, and say, yeah, wouldn't we'll do anything the, the, else. The
0: first, the first year, uh, we brought the Oldsmobile, and we were going up this hill, and, it, and it's a one-cylinder car, and we took, took up the hill. We were going maybe five miles an hour, and a jogger passed us. And he pulls up next to us, and he talks to us as he's jogging, and we're going along. He says, well, that was nice, you know, learning about your car. Have a nice day, and he took off. And we're gone. Jogged ahead of you. What
1: just happened? (laughs) A jogger passed us. What year was the Oldsmobile? 1901. 01. So we're talking about cars that are now 122 years old. Yes. They're still on the road and driving 50 miles, fairly reliably. But you had to change some spark plugs that fouled, I think. Yeah, a few little things. (laughs) Little things along the way. But you set up that time for people to enjoy that trip. What I think exciting is I'm hearing that there's a younger generation, people under 40 even, that are excited about the cars of this era, which they have no relation to at all.
2: It is astonishing. There's always been the idea that we work in the collector car space with that basic bell curve. The cars we lusted after at 17, we can now afford to 40, and so as those cars come into the marketplace, as that cohort ages, these cars become valuable and interesting, and then as they move out of the collecting and active use of the cars then the values drop and no one cares about them and they get thrown away or whatever obviously the people who lusted after a 1901 car when they were teenagers are slightly gone and yet there's more interest in that area than ever before and it's been really heartening um uh we're talking here in chattanooga and uh, at the um at the racetrack looking at the veteran car group of racers so many very young people from six to 18 years old who are absolutely fascinated by these cars and, and captivated by them. It's an amazing thing, and I think something that that bodes very well to the future of uh cars Yeah, you know,
0: I, I remember 20 years ago when um, the people were dying that owned the brass cars, and I said, man, this is gonna be my opportunity to swoop in and buy a really great brass car for like 20 cents on the dollar. Well, it went the exact opposite way. New people got involved, tours happened. And all of a sudden, now brass cars are untouchable yeah. financially. Some of them, are really, the great incredible ones. Incredible you know but, but it doesn't matter what it is, if it's a Model T or whatever. If you're involved with that era car, yeah, it, it, it's something special. It really is. I mean, you know, to really realize that this is what people
2: did. That's just how they drove around. And the involvement that that these cars demand that you have as a driver, even as a passenger, frankly, yeah. um, is something that also is very welcoming to younger people because. They've grown up in an age where everything is automatic, everything is sealed, everything is hidden, everything is disposable. And right. you realize this is a car that you have to pay attention every moment you're behind the wheel in order to keep it going forward and that's something which is a challenge and something that they probably haven't really had in their lives before. It's true.
0: So you get the Audreyan um, uh, is is grown over the years. We're here at Chattanooga and it's got very similar growth here where yes. um, as it gets older so this is the fourth year, you're in your fourth year. Fourth year. Yeah, we, both events started in 2019. Yeah, And so I see that growth to be similar um and what i like what you guys are doing i made a comment to you earlier um in the week that it's you've got such spectacular cars to come from the west coast from all over the place but Europe yet, and but Japan. Yet, you yeah. don't forget about your local people and that's so important that if you get all these great cars that show up and it squeezes all the other people out that love cars, in new Ford and Connecticut and New Jersey, wherever it may be, they all feel like, oh, I can't go to that because because it's just the big dogs there. Um, What you're doing is you're controlling that.
2: Well, thank you very much, Wayne. And I have to be very careful because um, Jay, you're sitting very close to me and you could get me with a quick uh, left jab. But I enjoyed the time I spent living in California for 11 years. And everyone knows that California is in so many ways the center of car culture for many people in the country and around the world. But I also have to say that I have been so impressed with the energy of the car culture in southern New England. It is astonishing. So many people have come up to me at events that we've done, our cars and coffee events, or at the Concours, and even in the museum and said, thank you so much for bringing this car culture to Rhode Island, I said, we did nothing of the sort. We allowed the car culture that was here a place to come and share community. And it's one of the things that I think is so important because there are a lot of people who still have the idea that car collecting is something that billionaires do. And it isn't. You can have a wonderful car that excites you, that teaches you about history, that brings you into a group of community, that you pay $5,000 for. And it can be the best example of something of that particular car, and it's not going to be a $50,000, a $5 million, or $50 million car. Um, one of the things that uh, we're very proud of at the Audrain uh, is uh, filling the idea that Jay had, um, uh, Jay Leno had for the 30 under 30 class, which is so incredibly important. It's a class for cars uh, owned by people who are 30 years old or younger, yeah. and they have $30,000 or less invested in their cars, and it is that entry point so that people can say, that they don't have a children's table. It's not a separate event someplace on another lawn somewhere. They are on the main lawn of the concourse, judged exactly the way the other cars on the lawn are judged, and they get to feel included. This is their first step into the places that they will grow as collectors. Well,
0: that's true, and that's, that's what's going to happen to them, you know, that you take that first step, you put your
1: toe in the water, and next thing you know, you're immersed. And I, I judge that class from the first year for you guys, which I've really enjoyed. I don't think I'd want to judge anything else, because what I do love about it is the cars are meaningful to them, and their cars are significant to them. So when you judge the 30 under 30 class, we're not looking at the world's most perfect BMW 318i, we're looking for the car that the person worked on themselves. The car that the person modified or that their father handed down to them that they restored together. Those stories to me are so important. And that's why they have an emotional connection with those cars. There's a young man, the last time I judged, that had a Franklin, and that's an air-cooled car, free war, and this kid knew everything about Franklins, and he was the youngest member of the Franklin Club, and I was like, there is hope. I mean, this is yeah. awesome. And yeah. dude, he won his class.
2: Yeah. And and. What's really important about that too, Jay, is the fact that what we'd like to do, all of us, is to inculcate in young people who are interested in cars that personal connection. So that when they grow to a position where they can afford a more expensive car, they're not just buying the car because it's more valuable or will be more valuable in five years. They're buying it because it really speaks to them. Yeah. That's, the, that's the core essence of collecting. If you can afford a Ferrari 250, 250 LM, you buy it because, oh, my God, this is a car that I saw on the cover of Road & Track magazine and, and, and I read that my heroes raced. That's why you want that car. Not because, oh, it's a really valuable um, sports racing Ferrari. It's going to be worth a lot more money someday. Who cares?
0: You know, it's, it's, it's been a, a great time visiting with you. We could be here for another five hours, <laughs> but our time is up. Um, so we want to thank you for coming in and talking to us here at the Chattanooga Motor Car Festival and uh, we're going to go out and look at some cars. Absolutely. Let's go. All, All right. right. Thanks, guys. See you on the Thank ride. you.